Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Equipping and Supporting Burmese Women After the Coup. Please welcome our host, Olivia Enos. Senior Policy Analyst in Heritage's Asian Studies Center. Hello and welcome to the Heritage Foundation virtually on this International Women's Day. I'm so delighted to have my speakers uh, joining me here today, but also all of you joining us as well. Burma and its people are really near and dear to my heart. Um, I think that it is a place that the international community believed once had so much promise, um, especially for democratic reform. And people had hoped that it would have a freedom-loving future. Some might say that the hopes that that bright future might happen are completely dashed. And this is especially true after we all watched the Burmese military carry out a coup on February 1st of 2021. Since that time, the Burmese military, according to the Assistance Association of Political Prisoners, Burma, has taken as political prisoner nearly 10,000 individuals. And we know that more than 1,500 of them have in fact been killed also at the hands of the Burmese military. The military has killed and plundered. They have raped and sexually abused. They've attempted to thwart any sort of organized efforts to oppose their draconian rule. And they've done so by shutting down the internet and by restricting access to even cell phone usage. And they did all of this throughout the coup in the aftermath of already having carried out what the United Nations said was genocide and crimes against humanity against its Muslim minority, Rohingya. And yet, and I wanna pause here, and yet the Burmese people have not given up hope. And as long as the Burmese people have hope and as long as they're fighting, I hope that we can come alongside them in any way that is possible. And that's why I'm excited to host this program today. I think with that hope that the Burmese people have, it necessitates action from the Biden administration, from Congress and from civil society. Because our goal should be to strengthen the hands of the Burmese people and to weaken the hands of the Burmese military in any way that we possibly can. I just want to highlight very quickly um, three possible ways that the Biden administration can do this. First, they can do so through continued sanctions um, and, and any attempts to close the loophole on sanctions already in place against the military and any, any entities that are lining their private coffers, especially against the oil and gas industry. Second, we should look for ways that the U.S. can extend safe haven through priority to refugee status to survivors of the coup, but also in particular to survivors of genocide and crimes against humanity. And third and most importantly, the U.S. government should issue an atrocity determination saying that what happened to the Rohingya in 2017 is what it is, which is genocide and crimes against humanity. I could list so many other things that the U.S. government can and should be doing, like releasing every political prisoner that's currently held or issuing assistance um, to the civil disobedience movement in any way that we possibly can. 
But I want to transition us to introductions to welcome uh, the true stars of this show. And, you know, this is the reason why I'm truly excited to be hosting this program today. I gave a very general introduction about the coup, but I'm excited to celebrate the bravery and the resilience of Burmese women in particular. And I think there are no two better women, perhaps, uh, to represent this cause than Ambassador Kelly Curry and also Wei Wei New. And I'm delighted to have them back, of course, virtually to the Heritage Stage today. So let me uh, briefly introduce them both. Then I'm going to have Kelly speak first. And then Wei Wei, we're going to have a little bit of a uh, conversation with some discussion questions. And then I'm going to be turning it over to you, the audience members, in order to take questions. So please be prepared uh, with your questions ready after we hear from Wei Wei and Kelly. So I first want to introduce um, Ambassador Curry. Kelly previously served as the Ambassador for Global Women's Issues at the U.S. Department of State. Prior to that, she worked with the incredible Nikki Haley at USUN, serving as the um, U.S. Special Representative for Economic and Social Issues. And prior to that, she's had an illustrious career in the State Department on Capitol Hill and just truly um, standing alongside the Burmese people. She's a fellow Hoya graduating from uh, Georgetown Law. And then prior to that, she received her undergraduate degree from the University of Georgia. Then we'll turn to Wei Wei Nu, um, a dear friend of mine. She is the founder and executive director of the Women's Peace Network. In addition to this, she holds many various fellowships, including a visiting senior research fellow position at the Human Rights Center at UC Berkeley's School of Law. She graduated from Berkeley Law in 2018 and also received her bachelor's from Yangon East University. So without further ado, I'm gonna uh, hand it over to Kelly to kick off our discussion today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Olivia. And it is a pleasure to be here with you and, and of course with our good friend, um, and to, um, to be able to, to join you on International Women's Day and talk about um, how incredible Burmese women have been in terms of their role in the struggle for democracy, human rights, and um, justice in Burma or Myanmar. And I, you know, I I appreciate your your very kind introduction, but I feel like I'm a poor substitute for the many, many women um, that Wei Wei Nu and I have have known and worked with over the years. Um, I've been working with Burmese women for nearly three decades now, and I've watched them um, move very very strongly from the sidelines of the democracy movement in Burma and um, you know playing. Uh, I think it kept being kept in a way on the sidelines and in, in many ways overshadowed by one woman, by Aung San Suu Kyi, um, and, and seeing their own roles in the movement and their own voices diminished for, for a long period of time to being now, I think, at the center of the democratic and of the movement for democracy, human rights and justice in Burma. Weiwei is a great example of this generational shift to see, you know, see someone, a young, um, young Rohingya woman like Weiwei Nu be one of the leading voices 
um, speaking out, especially um, including since the coup, but even before uh, Weiwei had a growing international profile as a leading voice for women of her country and um, and, and especially of her community. Uh, representing her community, but since the coup, she's been a um, I, she's been an incredible example of what the the power of of women's voices can do to drive forward a movement. We've seen, especially in the period of the last year, Burmese women, especially young women, really emerge as key leaders in the civil disobedience movement as key leaders in the national unity government, as um, key voices driving for unity and progress among the peoples of Burma, especially helping to give voice to ethnic nationality challenges, challenges around um, impunity for the military, um, challenges for the treatment of, of the, of communities that are facing armed conflict. And so it is an just absolute, I think it's a, a, a great way to celebrate International Women's Day, to, to focus on the women, peace and security agenda by talking about the way that Burmese women have really moved to the fore of this um, movement and have driven it in very positive directions, overcoming past problems and bottlenecks that were that they their their um, history and their their efforts over the past few decades to really learn to work together and to develop habits of cooperation across ethnic groups and build up civil society linkages and how all of that is playing such an essential role in sustaining and maintaining the movement for human rights and democracy in Burma today. So with that, I'm really excited to hear what our friend Weiwei has to say. Wonderful. Thank you, Kelly. And over to you, Weiwei. <laughs> um, am I, can you hear me? Oh, great. Great. I'm not muted. Um, so thank you very much, Olivia, for um, inviting me for this important day's event. And it is my honor to be with you today and especially with Ambassador Kelly uh, Curry, which I, who I have known for many, many years since my activism has began in 2012 and 13. Um, I, I had a great privilege of learning uh, from her. So I'm so honored to be here today. Um, so, um, and, and thank you Ambassador Kelly for your kind remark on the women of Burma, on, on women, role of women in Myanmar and, and their activism. Um, I also want to echo that I would like to congratulate and celebrate our sisters and mothers in Myanmar today, you know, fight risking their life, fighting against the military dictatorship and committed to bring democracy, freedom and justice for uh, everybody in, in Myanmar. I am so inspired by young women um, every day, um, challenging the military dictatorship um, and beginning starting their own activism and, and initiatives during the revolutions um, uh, you know from from the beginning of the uh, military coup from starting from the protests you know putting bang uh, putting pens uh, banging to the Tamain revolution cdms all of these the women were key leaders in 
beginning and starting all of this um, initiatives in in the whole um, democracy uh, revolutions. So I would like to honor and celebrate these women today. And also, I would like to pay tribute to um, people like um, and, you know, people like um, many, many other young women, um, uh, young women and elderly who have lost their life um, under the military dictatorship, uh, becoming a target and victims of the, the, uh, the violence attack. And I would also like to pay tribute uh, and honor to the victims of sexual violence during the military uh, coup and before prior to that, including uh, hundreds of thousands of Rohingya women. And these women are yet uh, um, await for justice. Um, and we must not forget and we must uh, be reminded every day until unless we get justice for these women, our fight is not over. Um, and um, one thing that is incredible today after the um, after all of in, uh, decades of my activism, um, you know, w when our country was so divided by the military um, dictatorships and military leaderships and propaganda against the ethnic communities, uh, before the military coup, I think uh, people like uh, us were so felt so lonely um, and unsupported. But today, seeing the military behavior uh, against the entire population, terrorizing the entire populations, using same tactics that they have used against the Rohingya and other ethnic communities, repeated on uh, all over the country. And I think as a silver lining, um, the people of Burma, especially the women, come to realize a common enemy, and uh, and and then we all are once again together to fight against this um, unjust um, uh, injustice and and the military dictatorship, and that's give me some hope to uh, some hope to uh, rebuild and repair and rebuild this uh, the the broken trust and society that we had and and that's what i am keep going every day as well and i think um we um you know people like us has been talking about this over and over and we want to actually end talking about the 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 suffering of the people and you know urging the world uh to help us i think the world is failing the people, Myanmar women, you know, women of Myanmar and the entire country. Uh, and we want to, to, to be seen as a priority as well in the global stage. We want to be, uh, we are suffering, uh, should be recognized and, and, and we want to be recognized for our suffering and pain every single day. And we need a stronger international support. We cannot do this alone. It will be extremely harder, and we will see many losses of lives and 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 dem, you know bring damage to a lot of damage to our society. If we don't want to see this, and we def we really need the international support. 
that include the calls that you make earlier, uh, Olivia, the United States taking leaderships actually, and uh, showing their leadership to stop this mass atrocity crimes in Burma against women, against uh, young people, against ethnic minorities, against politicians, and against the entire country. Um, it, it, United States can do this, and the United, United States needs to take leadership, show leadership in a, in a more collaborated strategy to respond to the Myanmar crisis, the coup and the atrocity crimes that happens against the different ethnic communities. And, you know, they have to, United States need to come up with a more coordinated and comprehensive strategy uh, to this uh, that uh, that should include a comprehensive um, sanction uh, targeted sanctions uh, policy, including imposing sanctions against the Myanmar oil and gas and um, also imposing global arms embargo arms embargoes against the military and and holding the perpetrators of these crimes accountable. Um, that can start by making atrocity determinations. There are evidences already collected by the State Department. It's been years, and I don't know why our suffering being ignored, and it is it is difficult for the U.S. Uh, State Department and Secretary Blinken to make atrocity determination. Without recognizing what happened to us, how would we want to address how can uh, the, the suffering can uh, and be addressed? It is very important that the atrocities uh, determinations is made and the crimes is recognized as it is genocide and take actions to stop, uh, to prevent the recurrence and to bring justice uh, to the situations. Um, and um, lastly, I would also like to say, as this is the uh, um, International Women's Day, I would also like to bring attention to the um, to the women's peace and security agenda. Myanmar is a is a classic example of the uh, where the in, uh, women's peace and security agenda should be implemented, um, and inside um, the, the domestically as well as as should get support from the international community uh, to be able to implement um, the women's peace and security that includes, um, you know making sure ensuring women women participations in all the processes um, in Myanmar as well as um, pro the discussions uh, related to the women and future of Burma uh, uh, abroad in, whether in the US or at the UN or elsewhere um, as well as uh, providing effective protective measures uh, for the women to uh, from from the violence attack against them um, and um, and uh, and also having a, a stronger preventive strategy uh, for the women of Burma. Um, I'll stop here. Uh, I'll, I'll be really looking forward to the discussion. Well, thank you for that, Weiwei, and also Kelly. I, you know, you, you yet again confirmed why I was so excited to host this program today. And you know, there are so many communities around the globe that we could have highlighted for International Women's Day. And I'm, I'm sure at Heritage we will because women, peace and security is really important to us here. But I was so excited to talk about Burma, I think for like so many reasons, but I'll, I'll boil it down briefly to three. Just, you know, one, 
there's so much to be done. You both highlighted not only from a women, peace and security agenda perspective, but just from an Asia policy perspective, from a national interest perspective, there's just so much work that can be done. And a lot of work that honestly has been very deferred, as you mentioned, Weiwei, with the atrocity determination or with some of those particularly ripe entities that can be sanctioned any day. Literally any day an atrocity determination can be issued or the sanctions can be issued. And for whatever reason, there has been reticence to do so. But I was also excited to highlight these issues because I'm afraid that Burma has kind of fallen off the agenda. Uh, And I'm worried about the fact that, you know, it seems like the U.S. government cannot seem to walk and chew gum at the same time. Obviously, there are very serious um, issues happening right now. Ukraine, of course, comes to mind, um, and our hearts go out to everyone who is there, China and the threat that is posed there. But Burma has seemingly fallen off of a lot of people's radars, and yet the people are fighting and striving every day in order to safeguard freedom that was undermined literally within a day's time. And I think the fragility of that freedom, but also the contrast, and and this is sort of the third reason why I'm so excited today, the resilience and the bravery of the Burmese women. And you all highlighted very specifically that Burmese women are action-oriented. I remember in the early days um, after the coup, hearing about women, particularly in the medical profession, who were just so quick to act so quick to respond and to organize and to respond to the coup. And so many brave Rohingya women within the camps who share about the atrocities that they experienced firsthand. It takes bravery to share about these types of situations. And so I'm just so grateful that you guys both highlighted um, all of that within your comments. And so I did want to kick off, though, with a couple of questions. And my first question is especially action-oriented, tying into what I just said, which is if there's one thing, just one, that the U.S. government could do tomorrow to elevate the role of Burmese women to alleviate suffering that they are experiencing currently, what would you, like if you were sitting with Joe Biden right now, what would you tell him you absolutely need to do this first? And either one of you can answer first. Um, okay, I'll go first, I guess. Um, so I think one thing that I would ask everybody, um, whether the President Biden or any other international leaders, is that to listen to the voices of women, um, women of women in Myanmar. Um, I feel like people are not listening to us. Um, I feel like the U.S. government is not listening to us. They're doing what they think is right for them, but not for the people. Um, I think the approach and the strategy has to be uh, a bit more um, the, the, the community-centered. Um, and it, it should come from the community. Otherwise, the responses may not be effect- as effective as um, they would want to see. So listening to the voices of women is key. Uh, that's the first thing. And otherwise, right now, there are many, many ways that, um, apart from what I have been already, um, me- I have already mentioned, uh, there are many other ways that the the the, the U.S. government can support um, people, women of Burma, women of Burma. Is uh, one way is that providing them with uh, resources and uh, and funding. 
a lot of the local women organizations are become a primary humanitarian aid provi providers where um, in many, many uh, displaced area where uh, NGOs are not allowed to provide uh, humanitarian aid, where the military is actually um, blocking uh, the humanitarian aid from reaching to the uh, civilians. Um, I think, you know, providing support uh, and equipping resources for the uh, women organizations, local women's group is uh, is one way to practically help. And, and that can be done through many, many, many channels. Um, and of course, there has to be a more flexible administrative um, and procedural um, um, uh, flexible administrative procedures to be able to reach to those uh, women directly on the ground. So that's um, that's that's one thing. And, and I just want to uh, shed the light on how women's groups are working so hard to be able to uh, provide uh, relief and protections of, to the fellow w uh, women in, um, in uh, displaced women in, in Myanmar. Mm. That's really great. And Kelly, how about you? Well, Weiwei Nu actually got at both of the, I think, things that I would have I would have recommended because I think that she's absolutely 100% right. It just, just listening to and finding those very specific ways, whether it's through funding or giving a platform and amplifying the voices of Burmese women and recognizing the role that they're playing here is the first step to actually then incorporating those um, those views and that the the ideas and the the perspectives that you get from listening to women into a policy approach. So that's got to be the first step always is is giving women the 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 opportunity and giving them agents, you know, rec recognizing their agency as um, as critical people who are driving, not just you know who are who are leading, but also are driving solutions. And I think that 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 as as Wei Wei Nu said, you have a lot of organizations that previously were focused on advocating for women's rights, um, advocating on gender-based violence, advocating on specific kind of women's issues who have transformed themselves in the past year into humanitarian assistance organizations who have taken responsibility for getting food and basic medical care and shelter and other forms of um, immediate assistance education to for people who are displaced, for people who are facing um, conflict, armed conflict in their communities. And empowering those women to whether it's through funding or by by giving them um platforms and listening to them and giving and hearing what they're saying and incorporating those things into the policy approach is is really the most um basic thing i think that also i mean further to that one way that that the administration one concrete thing that the administration could do in addition to the other things that we've talked about with, their, with the genocide determination and other things, is looking at the, the most representative body that's working within the democratic movement, the Burmese democratic movement, is the NUCC. And Weiwei Nu has participated in the NUCC 
NUCC and finding a way to more formally recognize the role of the NUCC as a representative body that truly represents the broader voice of Burmese people. Again, I've supported the U.S. representing the National Unity Government and the committee representing the Pidang Suhuta, but I think that representing that the NUCC is the by far most representative plenary organization and finding a way to um, to recognize its critical role um, as as a as the as a real um, real parliament for and a really play, that's playing that consultative role and, and providing that community engagement in ways that no other body really is right now, I think would be really helpful because there there are is very, very strong representation by women in the NUCC. That's great. Um, also, a reminder to our audience members that you can submit questions um, as we continue our discussion. But I did want to dovetail um, a little bit and ask, are there pre-existing feedback mechanisms that would make it easier for the administration to hear from Burmese women? Are there processes that women can start engaging in more actively or perhaps they're already engaged in um, that the administration and or Congress could take advantage of? Maybe Ambassador oh. Kelly. Uh, Kelly, I think you're on mute. Sorry. You're right. Sorry. I'm on mute. Sorry. One thing that I've seen, not just with Burma, but also with Afghanistan, is the administration has refused to support um, giving Burmese women the opportunity to participate in the um, in the Commission on the Status of Women at the UN. And Burma and Afghanistan both will not be represented by um by women from their countries this year at the at the commission. And this is the premier platform for women's participation. And I know Weiwei has participated in CSW activities in the past and other Burmese women have actively participated in side events. But I think this, you know, for for there to be empty chairs um, for Burma and for Afghanistan um, this year at CSW is, is very, very discouraging and I think it shows the lack of, of real um, willingness to to do the needful when it comes down to it that that the US and other Western countries have not fought to um, have not supported Burmese women even in this basic representational way mm. that's really helpful wait wait did you have any additions on that or should we move to a next question no I think that that is absolutely right and you know, democratic society and country like the U.S. should actually respect the voices of people more than any other countries and respect what people are calling for and given space for the for the uh, people of, of the country, not the not the military or, um, you know, any other illegitimate body. Uh, we have legitimate body and we have people themselves standing up for themselves and and these people should be given space and and being vacant is it's i think it's shameful and it shouldn't happen and there should be a um a stronger um i guess effort and consideration to to fill that gap um 
I think otherwise, I'm not sure if there is any other mechanisms available to provide feedback uh, internally in the U.S. Uh, for us. I have not seen any any uh, platform um, that we have um, a venue to be able to provide feedbacks on on, on different policy apart from uh, meetings with uh, you know uh, some individuals at the State Department. Or, or other um, bodies. Um, I don't think we have any f- formal platform and, and I think it would be really, really um, effective if we have such a platform, like, you know, um, a, a process of uh, uh, providing feedback and learning uh, about the situations uh, officially, perhaps. Maybe that can be created. I don't know if there's nothing exists. And I, I think there is a huge, um, um, a po- gap on the policy attentions when it's come to Myanmar. Uh, uh, I feel like you know I've been here for a couple of years and I've been engaging with uh, with the different uh, bodies in the U.S. government, but I still feel like it's every time it's the same. There is no improvement. Before the coup, when genocide was ongoing in 19, uh, 27, 16 and seventeen, and today there is no improvement. The same way of thinking, the same way approach. And this has to be changed on Myanmar. I don't know why they have failed Rohingya. Now they're failing the entire country. When are we going to really bring democracy in Myanmar and peace in Myanmar? Um, we people deserve peace and democracy as well, uh, like many in any other nations around the world. And I hope to see a more proactive approach and engagement uh, to bring uh, peace and democracy in Myanmar and also ensuring women participation in these discussions and meetings and and women participations I said when I said uh, including the ensuring uh, the participations of ethnic uh, um, and religious minorities uh, the most vulnerable communities Rohingya themselves must be included in all discussions related to Myanmar or our future mm. Yeah, really, really, really impassioned points. And I I completely agree with you. Um, So we have a question from an audience member who is asking, um, they currently are working with a woman in Shan State who has created a school for the internally displaced community in the Inlay Lake region. Oh my goodness, this is so generous. They've actually raised some funds for her school, but are facing challenges in transferring the funds to her because of some of the international banking regulations. Do either of you have advice on safe ways, on effective ways to ensure that these funds actually make it to the people that they're trying to serve? Kelly, I see you uh, shaking your head there. <laughs> Yeah, there there are amazing organizations, especially working in Thailand, that are doing incredible cross-border work. The Shan Women's Action Network, Shan, uh, SWAN, um, which Weiwei Nu will know very well, our friends um, Tay-Tay and Charm Tong, and, and I think Olivia has met some of those amazing SWAN women the Shan, from the Shan Women's Action, Shan Women Action Network. And they're, you know, when, when you were asking about existing platforms, there have been... Uh, these women's organizations that have been working in, especially in the ethnic areas, but not exclusively, but the, the ethnic women's organizations have been among the most 
um, robust, most um, together groups that that are the most they're the most effective. Even before the coup, they were really they they were plugged into their communities. They know what the needs are, and they 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 see a problem. They they solve the problem. You know, they work on it. They're they're have a they have a bias toward action, and they get things done. And um, you know, the men often are sitting in a room, uh, talking, talking, drinking tea, and smoking cigarettes. And the women are out actually getting stuff done and meeting the needs of the communities. So I think that um, you, you see this in in Burma very very distinctly. And, and the men say that they're practicing politics. But to me, the real politics is the women out there identifying the needs in the communities and finding ways to meet them with very little resources and very little support, including from their own government and often from the, the leaders in their own communities. It's really helpful. Um, did you have any other um, groups you suggest? Wei Wei? Um, so I think... Um, yeah, there are many, many other other groups um, um, on the ground, like um, the uh, Korean Women Organization, Korean Peace Network, um, a huge need in Karani State, uh, Kaya State. Uh, there are uh, Kaya Women Organization and 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 local uh, youth group. Uh, I think they need a lot, a lot of support because the state is so remote and nothing is reaching their information gap is huge there. And the military is severely targeting the chaos state. Almost three quarter of the population has been already displaced. Um, so that, uh, that that's where a gap is. And, and, and you know, try to reach out to those uh, organizations. Regarding the fund transfer, I think, um, you know, Ambassador Kelly knows this uh, in the past, during the previous military dictatorship, uh, people find ways to get into the uh, funding and resources into uh, into Myanmar through uh, Hundi systems or through uh, intermediary, different forms of inter intermediaries, including individuals and organizations. So if you're connected to uh, one group or individuals, you know, like... Uh, um, to try to uh, ask them for their advice and how they want to be receiving. And, you know, a lot of the time they know these processes because that had become at some point a practice. And there, really there are great organizations here in the United States, too, that can that can help. And, and um, I'm happy to, you know, do some follow up and, and help with um and help this this person if they're if they are having a hard time to get the funds inside because we know how to do this we've been doing it for for many years and and, and since the coup thing, some things have gotten harder but it's still possible yeah no it's so inspirational how many women here in the US are working behind the scenes to really equip women in Burma and vice versa and so yeah so grateful for your leadership on that um we have another question on uh, women, peace and security strategy specifically. Um, so, you know, both of you have mentioned in your remarks the importance of WPS strategy. And obviously it looks different under different administrations. Um, what are some of the strengths of the current strategy and some areas where maybe there could be some growth? And how would that help um, Burmese women in particular? Uh, to make sure that WPS, obviously it's a congressional priority as well as a executive level one. Um, are there some effective ways that, that folks in, in both branches of government can be thinking about making the best use 
of EPS work. Well, I feel like actually WPS is one of those um, rare areas in Washington that's very bipartisan and that where we enjoy very strong bipartisan support. And so I don't think you see a huge amount actually of difference between what the WPS strategy looked like in the um, in the previous administration and in the current administration. We had just in 2020 completed a massive, you know, as the with the passage of the Women, Peace and Security Act and signing it into law, we had just completed a number of steps um, in that process in 2020. And so I think that it's more a question of updating and tweaking than ra radically um, reorienting or changing those strategies. What I think, though, continues to be the, the problem that we, the ha we have these great these strategies that look very nice on paper and and have a lot of commitments in them, but they're not being implemented when it really counts. And we saw this with Afghanistan. We've seen it with Burma. Um, we're not seeing the the full integration of the the philosophy that that underpins women, peace, and security. That we will have better outcomes around conflict. That we will have better outcomes in countries when women are not just participating, but are meaningfully participating in mm -hmm. peace processes and negotiations in all aspects of the um, peace and security equation, including service in the security forces. And and um, leading in military engagement um, or and, and leading in policymaking. So I think that that's, you know, the, the problem is not so much that there's a difference of approach between the part, the political parties in Washington. It's that both parties have not really taken the taken the serious um, steps that are necessary to really implement a meaningful women, peace and security policy. That's great. Uh, um I think just to add on that, I think when we talk about WPS, people just end up having discussions around women participations. I know that women participation is a key element, one of the key elements of the women's peace and security, and it has to be done in a meaningful uh, participations, a, a, a strategy to have a meaningful participations of women in uh, during the uh, conflict and in post-conflict and in all the decision-making processes and rebuilding processes as well. And that is key, and that's what Ambassador Kelly has highlighted. I also want to bring the other two aspects of the women's peace and security um, uh, agenda that often missed or disregard, which is the preventions and protections. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I was actually emphasizing on the on the accountability and justice uh, for the women survivors of violence during the um, conflicts, um, and also having a stronger uh, uh, strategy on the recovery, uh, repair, and recover recovery and rehabilitations of the of of these women survivors and, and, and women in general um, after the conflict. And I think um, that, is, uh, that is also current, you know, provide, being able to provide relief is part of the WPS and being able to uh, having a stronger, a good strategy on the recovery and, and rehabilitations. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's also a must. And for that, I think, you know, we need actions immediately and, and we need to be able to, to uh, basically uh, take actions and, 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 and inter 
intervene on those aspects of the women's peace and security right away as conflict is happening. Um, and uh, for Myanmar to be able to implement those, I think one key important element here uh, is to basically pass the Burma Act as well, and that will open a lot of the doors uh, to implement women's peace and uh, security agenda and other uh, policy um, uh, 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 strategy uh, or other uh, available, um, I guess, uh, uh, mechanisms to to equip the Burmese people. Um, you know, passing Burma Act is uh, critical, and and also recognizing the crimes. Uh, you know, genocides happen against Rohingya, crimes against humanity happening all over now, and war crimes are happening. And this has to be recognized. Then you know, it's become easier to implement uh, the women's peace and security agenda, or to really push for a stronger policy. Uh, policy uh, strategy. Otherwise, you know, uh, there has been a lot of delay and pushback and, you know, uh, 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 bodies looking into one another and uh, the, the, nothing is moving forward and it, um, uh, as, as, as efficiently as it's supposed to be. Mm. Well, I was going to take moderator's prerogative and ask you, you know, what can we do for Rohingya women? But you've just summarized yeah. it absolutely perfectly there. Um, and so no, I'm just truly grateful. I would, to, I would stick like, uh, still like to bring up the situations of Rohingya women, um, which I wasn't able to uh, address earlier. And I think the coup, ha the coup has posed um, additional risks to the Rohingya women's lives in Myanmar and in Bangladesh and across the Southeast Asia. Um, the military is actually imposing more and more limita limitations and restrictions against their people, uh, ro remaining Rohingya in Rakhine state. And um, that includes by uh, introducing this uh, family check-in processes, very derogatory and, and humiliating process uh, against the uh, Rohingya people and, and where the security forces go to the village after village by village and take a photograph of the uh, Rohingya uh, uh, individuals, including women and children and, and, and their animals. Uh, for women, you know, they took off their scarf and the whole process is like, you know, it's it just remove remove their dignity and and, you know, reminded that you are being targeted, you are being persecuted and you are facing this just because who you are. And that process has resumed, as well as uh, the um, many more repressive measures introduced against their daily life, including uh, restrictions on travel, restrictions on movement, and uh, imposing this uh, the 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 uh, national verification card, which Rohingya said a genocide card. Um, because of all of these uh, pressures, uh, the the restrictions, severe restrict restrictions uh, uh, imposed recently, uh, we are seeing more and more people, especially women, choosing to leave the, 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 the Rakhine State homes by taking very, very ris risky routes by land or by boat. Uh, a lot of the time, these women are not safe, whether they take it by land or by boat, and they could become, uh, you know, victims of sexual um, uh, abuse and, and sex trafficking and slavery. Um, and if, if, if they're not, um, if, they're, if they're lucky enough not to be drowned uh, in the 
in the in the sea Andaman Sea. And that is happening. And at the same time, military has actually arrested um, an, at least 856 uh, Rohingya since the coup for leaving for leaving Rakhine State or coming back to uh, Rakhine State from Bangladesh. In a few cases, um, they are uh, arresting and detaining Rohingya and penalizing, uh, like basically sentencing them uh, two to three years of imprisonment. Majority of these detainees are women uh, and children. Uh, Women's Peace Network has recently issued a report about it. And, and that is a really serious issue that I think people are ignoring um, amid the coup. And in, in Bangladesh, um, the situations has deteriorated drastically over the one uh, past uh, couple of years. Uh, today, you, we had a, a big fire uh, in Kudubalong Kang, Kang 5, and that fire, uh, accidental fire, has been happening every, uh, you know, one to two months. Uh, I think over the past uh, three, four months, there has been at least four fires happened. And, and, and in, in most cases, people, um, um, people are, even there are incidents of people, uh, the death, uh, because people cannot leave the camps while um, the fires, the fire is happening because there are fences uh, um, that put in place by the Bangladesh, uh, Bangladesh authority across the, across the camps. Mm-hmm. So now um, talking to many women in, in the camps, they feel like they are once again facing similar situations in the camps and being fenced and uh, and uh, being treated as 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 you know basically criminals prisoners and not only fencing but also secu- increasing sec- uh, securitizations in the camps um in different manners uh, women are not safe at all um they can be targeted in many many ways um in addition to the pressure that they have uh being forced to send to bashangsha or deprivations of their livelihood, for example, um, like uh, shutting down uh, the local shops, uh, the Rohingya, the, the refugee shops within the camps that only generate little amount of money for their uh, survival, and you know, the, the, like you know, very tiny uh, like vegetable shops or uh, the produce shops that has been closed. And there are many, many other ways that has the the the, the restrictions has in, introduced against the refugees, including um, closing down like um, the refugee-led um, um, the it's, uh, self-help education center, very small education center that um, give women hope seeing their children going to school. Of course, they yeah. it's not like really good quality school, but at least feeling some hope that, you know, their children ha- can go to school. And all of these opportunities has closed down. So I think when we talk about Rohingya women, I think we have to see all of this in a in a bigger picture. And I think there has to be a stronger support for the Rohingya women and their suffering and help and suffering of the community in general. See, this is why I invited both of you to join me. I feel like we have been able to cover in a relatively short period of time, um, you know, both the situation facing Burmese women after the coup, but also more specifically Rohingya women. And so I'm just so grateful to both of you for 
um, the incredible advocacy that you each do independently, um, whether that's inside of government, outside of government, on personal time, on work time. I know that this is a whole of life um, cause that you both are devoted to. And so it is an honor for me to be able to host you here today. And hopefully it's been a blessing to others um, to be able to listen in today. But thank you so much to both of you, Weiwei Nu and, and to Ambassador Kelly Curry uh, for joining us today on the Heritage Stage. Thank you. Thank you very much.